And welcome in to the Subconscious Mind Mastery Podcast. Thomas Miller back with you, and I have a great announcement that I am so excited about. I can't even stand it. This is so awesome. So let me, before I tell you what it is, let me walk you back just a little bit, because we've talked so much on here about what we carry in our mind and in our emotions eventually unfolds in our life. And one of the things as I've changed the course of my life over the last 10 years was very present in my visualization, in my mind, in my consciousness, and in my emotions. One of them was doing audiobooks. And this started back before audiobooks got as popular as they are today. I was thinking about wanting to be an audiobook narrator. And I even had this visualization of, of a booth, of an area that I would be recording in that had a, an extended desk and the monitors and speakers and everything up there. And it's almost a carbon copy of my little vocal booth where I've been doing all these shows now for the last couple of months. Another thing that was just embedded in my heart was that the work that I would do would basically outlive me, that I could be involved in something that would touch other generations. And the third, I'll add a third one because there is a very critical third one. And this, is, this comes from my study and understanding of my astrological chart, that mine is more of a gift of service rather than being the out front dog. I know I'm doing all these podcasts, but you know, it's just, you got to get something going, right? I mean, we had to get that started. But when you look at some of the key energies in my birth chart, the way I'm wired is to serve others. So back in 2013, I reached out to Fred Dodson and asked if he would be interested in having one of his books done as an audio book. He said, yes, that was 28 books ago. And now Steve Forrest, who is one of the prominent astrologers that has ever traveled the highways and byways of this planet, has allowed me to do what is going to be, as he says in this episode that you're going to hear, some of his legacy collection. And I cannot tell you how much that touches my heart. So between the time that it takes to do an audiobook and the everything else that Steve has going on that he you'll hear about, you'll hear about in this episode, he'll tell you that they decided to take a chance on this guy from Texas and allow me to voice the books that comprise the Elements series, the first of which is the Book of Fire, and it is now available as an audiobook. So Steve very graciously granted Majana and me some time to sit down and learn more about him, his work, astrology, but also about the Book of Fire in this Elements series. So without further ado, let's meet one of the greatest, Stephen Forrest. Well, Steve, I got to say, this is probably one of the uh, most anticipated interviews that I've ever done, not only on this podcast, but in my life. So wow. thank you. Thank you. I'm flattered. <laughs> thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. And most importantly, thank you for letting me be your voice on these audiobooks. <laughs> I appreciate you representing me with your excellent grammar and your uh, mid-Atlantic accent. <laughs> <laughs> Tulsa, Tulsa, Oklahoma, actually. <laughs> oh, well, you've been faking Mid-Atlantic. <laughs> well, yeah, try to, get, try to get as close to yours as possible, yeah. right? See, I grew up in New York, so I learned to talk like that. And then I moved to North Carolina, so I had to learn how to talk a little bit more like this. And, oh. <laughs> so I've, I've eventually wound up in the middle somewhere. You adjusted it, and now you're in California, so it's like, hey, what's happening? Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> we're all trying to be laid back. Right, right the laid back version. Well, you are you have created quite a, 
a set of body of knowledge, uh, just the fact that you have transferred so much of what you have learned and contributed to astrology into this series of fire, earth, air, and water. Yes. This is, um, it has to be, I would think, just a feeling of accomplishment to be able to, It's to me it seems like a high point, a pinnacle of your career yeah. to really yeah. to create this. Is that, am I, am I close? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, I, uh, I've turned uh, 69 and 70 and now 71 in the process of writing these things. So if there was going to be a high point of my career, I, I felt, there was some urgency. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you're doing great. And you have three of them done right in the can now. Yeah, exactly. Two are, two are in print and out there. And one of them just left my hands a couple of days ago. I, I did one more totally neurotic or necessary review of it. And, uh, and then finally just gave it up and sent it into the universe. So it's in pre, pre-production now. And I'm uh, about 50 pages into the Book of Water. So I've got a pretty good start on that. I'm in the, in the midst of the uh, Scorpio chapter. Good. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm looking forward to that. So one of the things I wanted to do, because this is a broad audience of people who are interested in the subconscious mind, your version of astrology, evolutionary astrology, yeah. is almost a direct hit because you're talking about the evolution of the soul. Yeah. Would you explain to folks who probably don't know much about your work and what you've studied and contributed all these years, what evolutionary astrology is? Mm-hmm. Sure. It's uh, essentially the, the marriage of uh, modern psychology, ancient metaphysics, and modern astrology, if we could just take those three rivers and let them flow into one ocean, that's it. So we will, uh, in terms of ancient metaphysics, we assume reincarnation. We assume that we've all had prior lifetimes on the earth, a classic uh, element of perennial philosophy and, and metaphysics. And then we we work with that material, the, the prior life material, which we, for which we can see evidence in the chart, uh, in much the same way that a modern psychologist might work with, uh, with uh, the fact that uh, as an infant we weren't held or touched, uh, which would, of course, be wonderful fodder for a modern psychologist. And uh, only what if in a prior life you were an infant who was not touched, and in the present life, this present life, um, this was not the case. Your parents were wonderful, but you have all of the symptoms of a child who was not touched. In the modern context of our kind of psychological view of things, such a person would diagnose themselves as crazy. You know, it's just uh, here I am, just a crazy person because I have trouble with touch and I have trouble with trust. We look at the chart and we see some evidence of a wound or abuse in a prior lifetime, that suddenly takes what would be read as craziness in the present life and makes it a a sensible, rational response to a terrible experience that that the person is unaware of having had. And so we, we figured out a way to let all that kind of material emerge 
through the astrological symbols. Now, I, I, I can launch into this and talk for 20 minutes, but that's bad behavior in an interview. So I'm going to let you ask another question. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why you have a whole body of work that people can delve in, right? I mean, this is eating the elephant one little morsel at a time. Exactly. Like, if you're not careful, I just quote the whole body of work to you. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> We got to leave something to peek behind the cover. <laughs> yeah, got, we need you to have a job. Too. That's right. That's right. We need, yeah, keep the narrator in business, right? Keep him off the streets and in <laughs> yeah, his booth, exactly. for God's sakes. He's Honest safe. work. Right? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, okay, so that's a good point. So, one of the questions is how do you see the prior life in the chart? Where do you look? Well, we start off with the assumption that you have your birth chart for a reason. That, that seems innocent enough, but uh, as soon as we, we put that on the table, we realize that you've had your birth chart ever since you were born, by definition. So any reason why you have this present birth chart had to occur before the birth, period. That's just rational. That's not a proof of reincarnation. And, and we could throw the whole thing out by saying life is random and you have your birth chart because that's how the dice fell. But if we throw that away and assume life to be meaningful, then some forces or energies had to be in operation before birth. So everything in your birth chart would contain the seeds of some information about why you have it. Hence the, the idea that your birth chart is reflective of, of your unresolved karma. I guess this would be a decent place to ask this question get it out up front. For the people, and a lot of people who listen to this podcast probably are exploring the whole thoughts create our reality. Mm -hmm. And so for somebody who is in the uh, belief system that we 100% create our life and our past. Yes, yes, yes. Like all this astrology stuff, these planets, they don't matter. How in the world could something that is as far away as Pluto, have an effect on our life down here on yeah. Earth. Yeah. How do you answer that? Oh, yeah, and I'm, I'm thinking how to get that into a soundbite. You know? There's there sort of uh, <laughs> two, two parts to your question. You know, one, this idea of uh, do we personally, through our own volition, create our own realities? And my simple response to that would be, yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with that 100%. Uh, and, and then implicit in your question was also the, the idea of what is the mechanism through which astrology works. And uh, these, are, these are, are both really book-length questions. Yeah, they are. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So let, let, me, let me deal with the, the initial one first, you know, about how we, we create our realities with our own energies, thoughts, and natures. Uh, I, again, I agree with that principle completely, but here's how I would complicate it. Um, present life, if my, my father tried to encourage me by saying, you're such a wimp, you'll never amount to anything, you know, stand up and be like a man. But I had a far better dad than that. But, but if, <laughs> if my father encouraged me that way, then I would have this deep unconscious sense of inadequacy. Mm -hmm. Now, my conscious mind, I might have rejected that, but what is the mechanism 
whereby we create the realities we experience. It's not just positive thinking, you know, I am one with all the money in the universe, you know, it's instead, it's that energetic essence of what we are that magnetizes experience into our lives through synchronicity. So if I have that kind of wound of shame in me, I will be attracting shameful circumstances. I don't intend to create that reality, but my energy will magnetize that reality in. That connects very quickly with unresolved karma, as I was talking about earlier, that we would see that all of us carry wounds in our souls from, from prior life experiences. And until we resolve them, we tend to keep repeating them. Exactly. Exactly. And that shows up in the chart. Absolutely. That's the essence of what I do. So then Helping you think people get beyond that. So then you have the map, you have the identification. And then, like you said, then you can help find the solution. Yes, exactly. Every, every planet in your chart describes uh, an unresolved karmic issue and how to fix it. Mm. The, the symbols are, are that rich. They, they contain both of those pieces, the, the wound and the remedy. This is not the kind of astrology that a lot of people are used to. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, where we get the modern predictive stuff, you know, like something's yeah. going to happen because we have a virus going on in the world right now and yeah, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, exactly. Or that because you are a Capricorn and she is a Capricorn and I'm a Scorpio, therefore dot, dot, dot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. This right. is all fate and it, it takes away our power uh, to create our own lives. Uh, and to screw up our own lives, you know, if we if we honor the idea of freedom and we have a brain in our head, we have to recognize that we're we're free to not be free. You know, we're free to continue to make the same stupid mistakes over and over again, but we're free to do better than that. And and that uncertainty, that delicious, delightful uncertainty, is woven into the kind of work that I do. I I, I never expect I will see the future or tell somebody what lies ahead for them. I, I, I coach, I, I counsel, I, I talk about, here's the remedy. It's your job to take it and use it. That, that's the spirit of the work. It's much more like psychotherapy than being a, a prophet. Now, let's take one other look at this, move the camera lens over just a few degrees. Mm-hmm. What I picked up in narrating the Book of Fire that I thought was just, oh gosh, it crystallized so much for me, is you were talking a minute ago about the birth chart. Yes. That's the imprint of the moment that we were born. Yes. And then, as you say, through life's synchronicities, you use that word quite a bit. And I love that. (laughs) That life itself presents us the synchronicities to unfold what's on that map. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So sometimes we just, I mean, okay, so take the example of the person who never in their whole 85 years ever looked at an astrology chart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But yet, at the end of the line, if you were to analyze it and look at their life, they made most of the right-hand turns correctly. One would hope. One would hope uh, if they made uh, made left-hand turns when they should have made right-hand turns, we could also understand that through the chart. 
but uh, again, the, the overriding principle is freedom or its close cousin, personal responsibility for the shape of our lives. When you think about then, we have this map and we have these synchronicities. Yeah. How much of it is fated and how much of it is free-flowing? Yeah, good, good question. Uh, it is uh, 100% your inescapable fate in this lifetime that you will face certain questions and certain possibilities. There is no nowhere to run and nowhere to hide. Those questions and those possibilities will find you even if you're hiding under the bed. But beyond that, you're in the realm of freedom. Anything that's a question uh, by its very nature has uh, at least a right answer and a wrong answer, and often a lot of nuances and shades of gray in between. So you will face those questions, but the answers are creative. And then back to the evolutionary context that it is for the growth of our soul. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that brings us back to the unresolved karma and and then the mysterious sense of how we evolve into our our futures, the the, uh, direction of enlightenment, so to speak, or or heaven or or Christ consciousness or or whatever you would choose to call it. But the the birth chart points in the direction. There there was a wise man who, who once said, the only question we ever really need to answer is where do I put my foot next? I've always found it kind of entertaining, but it's it's really kind of brilliant too. If you always have a good answer to that one, you're going to be fine. You're going to get to your destination. The, the birth chart might not give you profound insight into transcendent states like enlightenment, but it tells you where to put your foot next in mm. this lifetime if you want to be on that road for getting there. I love that. I Me too. love that. Me too. That is great. I know Majana has a couple of questions about the subconscious mind. I want her to jump in here. Oh, great. Yes, yes. Hi. Hello. So you have already mentioned that every planet addresses karma and how the karma and then how to resolve it. But is there a particular house that we would look for for subconscious or some of that karma that brought forth? Um, there are some symbols that would relate very directly to the, the subconscious or unconscious material and, uh, and to the wounds of the soul. The, the ultimate astrological symbol that brings us to the heart of all of this is called the south node of the moon. That, that is the, the royal road into understanding a person's karmic wounds. Uh, at a, a somewhat less metaphysical level, where we're operating in a more psychological kind of framework, using language that a a modern psychotherapist would probably feel comfortable with. There are three houses in the chart that are sort of windows into the deeper self, each a different face of the subconscious mind, the fourth house, the eighth house, and the twelfth house. Fourth house is more psychological in the sense of feelings arising, the eighth house would become a little bit more investigative and critical about those feelings, like where do they come from, what's really going on here. And in the twelfth house, there is a, a, a kind of taking refuge in the in, in spirituality, in the larger framework. Like no matter what wounds we carry, there is a, a higher place we can all get to. And 
uh, to have the strength to do the psychological work, we had better have some kind of relationship with the divine or the transcendent or the psychological work will simply exhaust us and leave us depressed and defeated. So we have these three elements. Very cool. So as you were talking about this, I just imagined a hypnotherapist do having a chart, really understanding this and cutting straight to the chase. Yes, yes, a good combination. Yeah, like very a, powerful. A person doing hypnosis for uh, the recovery of prior life memories, is that what you're, yes, you're thinking yeah, about? Exactly. Me too, me too. Here's, here's my comment about that. I, I have enormous respect for that process of hypnotic regression. I, I actually, uh, a person who pioneered it, Roger Bolger, uh, a British man, uh, wonderful guy, uh, I had lunch with him once. He had not published anything. I had just published my first book. He came to my town to to do a lecture, and he wanted to wanted to get some scoop about how to get published. And we wound up having lunch together, and just really hit it off. I I liked him very much, and and immediately I sensed the the natural synergy between evolutionary astrology and uh, past life hypnotic regressive work. Uh, here's what evolutionary astrology would bring to that process. When a person is an, in a hypnotic trance and they are recovering prior life memories, I have, I have great faith in the validity of that process. There's plenty of evidence that, that it really works in an authentic way. However, it is still your own mind. And all of us would much rather remember our our victories, and when we look great, than when we landed on our behinds in front of everybody, or when we did something that we're still ashamed of, those kinds of memories, they are not as welcomed into the mind. So in a hypnotic trance, you're still yourself, and there is still some of that screening. What astrology adds to the mix is the sense of, okay, what is the heart of the matter for you karmically? What is the thing you perhaps least want to look at, but most need to look at? And so this this is a corrective that evolutionary astrology brings to bear upon the hypnotic regressive work. Of course, the hypnotic regressive work has its own strengths. A person has a direct, visceral, uh, undeniable experience of who they were, and so they believe it, and it's cathartic. And And so I, I, I'm just a great advocate of uh, harmony, sympathy, and mutual support between those two disciplines. They need each other. Yes, I agree. Sounds terrific. Thanks. I want to put a plug in for some of your work and the resources that people can avail themselves of. So on your website, you have courses directly teaching people how to see this in their own charts on the the interpretations of of the nodes. Would you just give people an idea of what some of that work is? Sure, sure. Uh, It's uh, at this point, uh, my website is full of uh, of videos, some you pay for, some are free, uh, similarly articles and, and so on. And, and plus all my books, I've written a dozen books about all of this. And, and so it's, it's all up there uh, and I'm proud of it, but I would also have to say it's in a state of almost absolute entropy, chaos, that <laughs> there is no uh, simple rational path through it where somebody wants to learn this stuff would like to start with kindergarten and progress to their PhD. Uh, that doesn't exist. And that's a giant mess. 
which we're currently addressing. Uh, a philanthropist and business fellow and a professor at a local California college, both students of mine. Uh, she's got a lot of experience in uh, online teaching. And the three of us are putting our heads together to create the Forest Center for Evolutionary Astrology, oh, which will be an amalgam of an online school, an orderly path through all this material, uh, supplemented with something I really believe in very strongly, which is face-to-face, -face, you know, skin, you know, flesh and blood kind of contact between humans. My, I've been teaching the Little Red Schoolhouse, kindergarten through 12th grade for all my life. And now that I'm getting older, I, I would like to put most of my live teaching time into more advanced material and let people look at me in recorded form, you know, to, to learn the basics and then carry it further than that. So that's one of my current projects, along with these four elements books that, that you're helping me out with. So one of the products in that schoolhouse <laughs> is on the nodes and interpreting the nodes. Yeah, and it's yeah, one that oh, I yeah. that I happen to acquire and it uh -huh. taught me so much on how you paint that picture of what the nodes yeah. represent. And I want to get over to fire here in just a second, but mm -hmm. but just to stay on this theme for another couple of questions. Sure. How much then do you think the chart can reveal a depth of detail. So I know that some astrologers who go into the nodes will say that you were a soldier in the French army in the 1500s and you died yeah. by falling off of your horse when somebody yeah. came along with a thing to whack your head off or something. Yeah. That yeah. level yeah. of detail, right? Uh-huh. Do you go that deeply or do you just basically no, no, talk no. about You're, that fear I, is a fact, paradigm? I, I would say such astrologers are are making a grievous error in the in the scenario you just described, your French army fell off the horse, you know, etc. Uh maybe the truth is that you were a uh, 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 an allied soldier in a tank in the battle of the bulge and you were knocked off by a German Stuka, you know, bombing you. And, <laughs> and that's a totally different story until you think about the essence of it. And then it's the same story. So one of my favorite lines, a really short one, symbolism is not literalism. We should never confuse the two. You don't read a chart the way you read a newspaper. You read a chart the way you interpret a poem. Or, or interpret a dream. Uh, when I'm sitting with a client, uh, I have sort of a set piece, usually near the end of my first session with a client, where uh, I'll, I'll say, uh, I, I'm going to make a very bold claim here. I am about to tell you a true story about a past life of yours. And of course, their eyes get wide. That's yeah, quite a bold claim. And then I say, but I'm going to make up all the facts. <laughs> and of course they laugh and I laugh, but then it's a serious point. Any novel you have ever read that was worth the time it took you to read it was full of made up facts. You know, it's fiction. But the reason it was worth the time it took you to read it is it tells you the truth anyway. We should never confuse truth and facts. You know, they're not opposites but they're different things. So I can tell you the truth about your past life, but I have to create a, a metaphor that resonates with the truth. And if you give me one more moment, 
there's a, a technical piece that's really pretty simple here that brings us right to the bones of, of why this process works. So if we have a group of people together who are sympathetic to reincarnation, and we say, do you believe in reincarnation? Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, uh, do you remember a past life? Everybody will have a story to tell, you know, some impression that they have, maybe some synchronicity to support it. I'm wide open to that. It's probably true. And then I ask them a question. So in your immediate previous life, what was your name? You know, what was your address? You know, I, I don't know. I, I, so the sort of bottom line is that for practical purposes, unless you're the Dalai Lama, we forget our past lives. And that's a, a simple, easily proven truth. Let me argue with it a little bit. There is a level at which we remember our past lives perfectly. Uh, on a, some higher transcendent level, Akashic Records, of course. But that's not quite what I'm talking about. The level at which we remember them perfectly is the emotional level. We don't remember what they were, but we remember what they felt like. So it is the south node of the moon that we use in this technique. And the moon is the heart. It is the emotional body. And so once again, it is the, the, the beautiful line here. And I, I love this one because it is so close to the heart of all of this, is that the trauma of death and rebirth, the passage through Bardo, erases our logical, rational, linear memory, what we might call our, our mercury memory in astrology. But the memories of the heart, of the emotional body, are robust enough to survive the trauma of death and rebirth. That's what comes through. So cutting to the bottom line here, there's a little boy, seven years old, waking up his family every night at three o'clock in the morning with screaming nightmares. Some monsters are after him, you know. And this kid, like a decade ago, died in a firefight in Fallujah, mm. in Iraq. And he doesn't remember that, but he sure remembers what it felt like. He remembers the fear. That's what has reincarnated. That's why the south node of the moon is the royal road into all of this stuff. It's the memories of the heart that it gets us to. Long speech, but that's the essence of it. No, that's fascinating, and that's where we could go down this and and till bedtime tonight, and, and we won't. Hopefully, haven't put you to sleep. No, 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 not at all. So I will just attest that the course that you have on interpreting the nodes, if anybody is interested in this, is a fascinating course, and they can get it from your website at forestastrology.com, Correct? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Okay, and we'll we'll remember we'll reiterate that again at the end. Let's switch over and talk about this elements series that you are yeah, in the I midst of doing. Yeah. So, can you break down for us and again for people who just don't know that are in the K level of the schoolhouse? <laughs> what are the elements, and why did you organize this series and this body of work accordingly? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, uh, of course, uh, almost everybody has heard of fire, earth, air, and water, you know, the, the four elements. And unless we failed poetry back in high school, 
there's a pretty good chance we, we, we could take guesses about the meaning of each of those things. And really, uh, those two are really obvious. Air, uh, air, airy, it's conceptual, it's in our heads, it's perceptual, it's about ideas, you know, airy kinds of thoughts. And then water, water, well, uh, cutting to the heart of that, a very simple statement, water comes out of our eyes when we're feeling strong emotions. Uh, and that's the water element. A lot of people would think somebody crying, it must be sad. Well, not necessarily. The bride and the groom might cry on their wedding day. The Olympic gold medalist might cry when the medal is hung around the neck. Uh, I'm an old hippie, so I, I cry listening to Van Morrison's Astral Weeks at 110 decibels, and I recommend it no matter what your age is. You know, <laughs> So we cry for lots and lots of different reasons, but when feeling looms up in us, and, and that's water. I'm being a little more windy about that because I'm, I'm kind of knee-deep in water now writing, writing that book with, uh, with fire, earth, and air behind me now. You cry right on ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> yeah, you? Even Scorpios cry. Yeah, you're a Scorpio, right? That's yeah. In the middle of your chapter. Yeah, and I'm impressed. You cry as a Capricorn, so. Yeah. Oh, I'm capable of it. It, it takes <laughs> some work. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? <laughs> you're a Capricorn. <laughs> I am. He often tells me I am very unemotional. Oh, it's not true. That's not true at all. Inside. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I keep they, it these, these humans are so illogical. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, Spock was a Capricorn. It's really interesting to I, I know that's not official, but you know, <laughs> Kirk the Aries, you know, and 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 Doc, you know, the the Cancer, you know, and, and Spock the Capricorn. That that Trinity is right there. I think everybody else was kind of the air figures. <laughs> <laughs> the archetypes are everywhere when you start looking for them. Yeah. It's a perfect metaphor. It truly is. Yeah, it is. It's why it's the great. show is so successful. It just resonated with yeah. this fundamental archetypal reality. So the fire signs. First yeah. of all, let's let's introduce for people who yeah. don't know. They might think of Aries, yeah. obviously, that comes to mind, but what are the planets, the signs and the houses yeah. that correspond yeah. to fire? Yeah. And uh, I'm glad you put it that way because the my the the book of fire is not simply about the fire element it, it's it's about the whole one quarter of the astrological system that is in the fire family so we would have the three fire signs aries leo and sagittarius plus the planets that rule them the planets in particular resonance so mars the god of war rules aries the sun is said to be the ruler of Leo. And then we have in Sagittarius, the Jupiter rulership. So the book of fire is about those three planets as well. And then we go further. Aries is the first sign of the zodiac. And it has a strong resonance with the, the first house. Similarly, Leo, the fifth sign and the fifth house. Sagittarius, the ninth sign and the ninth house. So the, the book of fire is really about all of those symbols, nine different symbols that constitute approximately one quarter of the whole astrological system. The, the rest of the books will complete that series. And what, what, I'm, what I'm trying to do with them is uh, essentially to introduce uh, everything I have learned, you know, over my 
lifetime, you know, 50 or 55 years, literally, of, of doing this work. I, uh, I stand on the shoulders of giants, of course. You know, I've not invented astrology, but uh, astrology has to constantly reinvent itself. Like, like for, for, for example, uh, you can read books from 60 or 80 years ago that will contain a phrase, in a man's chart, this planet means this. But in a woman's chart, the planet means that. Nowadays, you would be tarred and feathered after correct jurisprudence, you know, for saying <laughs> such a stupid thing as that, because, you know, the, the gender roles are shifting. In the old days, that kind of stuff was probably accurate. It's not anymore. So astrology has to, it's eternal, but it has to constantly reinvent itself and adapt itself to the changing world. And, and uh, I've done a lot of that, you know, in that people in the modern world want to feel they have power over their lives. They, they don't want the fatalistic, this will happen to you because Saturn is opposing your sun. People don't think like that anymore. So adding this idea of freedom, adding uh, the, the metaphysical fertility that has come from the last century and a half, essentially, of uh, East-West fusion, uh, you know, Buddhism colliding with Christianity and coming up with Carl Gustav Jung, you know, I, I mean, it's a short version of a complicated subject, but the, all these rivers kind of flowing into this ocean of the modern world were a big subject. We're in the age of Aquarius and much more of an age of individuality, less of surrender and dissolving into couples and countries and religions which was more characteristic of the age of Pisces. So astrology has to reinvent itself. I've, I've spent a century, half a century, not a century, working on this. And before I depart the flesh, I, I want to leave essentially everything I have learned, you know, behind me. And, and that's really what these four books are about. It's they Each one contains the uh, there's a lot of cookbook stuff like what does Mercury in the first house mean, Mercury in the second house, etc. And and they're the kernels of my my first ideas. Whenever I sit with a client and look at a configuration, I have to put it in context. It, it, you know, it's a it's a stew of symbols. But the first ideas, the initial ideas about all of the basic structures that can possibly exist in astrology. I've wanted to write them down, and th and that's what these four books are about. You've got me choked up that, that ah, well, you've allowed you. me to be the voice of that is the world's highest honor. Well, thank you. Thank you for saying that. I really appreciate your support. I couldn't do it without you. Wow. Thank you. Goodness. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> water he's cute yeah but see i know you're feeling something deep down inside I, i'm oh. in a capricorn too so no, I, could, I get it i could cry <laughs> right now i could just cry yeah, but you, you, you touched me michelle's not going to embarrass yourself <laughs> no she's seen it plenty of times this is water not gin <laughs> yeah i was about to make that exact comment <laughs> except as a question <laughs> I love how you describe the fire symbols. Okay, so I'm thinking of folks that are listening. They go, wait a minute, I'm not an Aries, and I'm not a Leo, and I'm not a Sagittarius, so how does this apply to me? The fire element applies to every one of us because, like you said, a fourth of our composition, one way or another, 
includes fire, right? We all yeah, have absolutely. three fire planets in our chart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love for you to tell the story, if you don't mind, of how you started the the what fire is all about by talking about some little birds on a spring morning on the front porch. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, it's uh, Aries symbolism. And uh, so we step out uh, one spring morning and we hear, uh, or perhaps we see uh, a little nest in a bush by our front door with five little robin's eggs in it. Oh, springtime, the beauty of it. And we, next few days we look again and they've hatched. They're five little robins, you know, having cracked out of their eggs and mama robin and Papa Robin, you know, feeding them, bringing them worms. Oh, how sweet. And then we come out a few days later, and there's four little robins. You know, talk about realism. There's four little robins. What happened to the fifth one? Nothing good. Maybe a couple of weeks later, they're getting near fledging, and there's three little robins or two little robins. You know, life is hard that way. As Tom Petty said, you got to fight to be free, you know, powerful line. And I think of a surviving Robin, maybe two of them left. And that surviving Robin, uh, a defenseless creature living in a world full of, uh, of others, think of it as breakfast, you know, the crow would love to eat that Robin. And if that little Robin had a brain in its head, it would be hiding out in a corner of the nest trying to look as small as it could. But that's not what we see. There's that robin with its neck stuck out and its mouth wide. It's like, feed me. Damn it. You know, I have a right to exist in this universe, you know. And, and that's the fire, the primal fire image for me. Not fierceness, not Sylvester Stallone wiping out the Soviet Union personally, you know. Not that kind of silliness, but, but courage in the face of life's enormity, this, damn it, I will survive, you know, that that is the essence of fire. It's a very pure expression of Aries energy. We find it becomes a little more nuanced in Leo and Sagittarius, and, you know, that's all in the pages of the Book of Fire. That hit at just the time that I needed some extra fire in my life, and I yeah, use that yeah. very analogy of... Grand. Great. Feed me, feed me. I have a right to exist. I have a yes, right for yes. this space, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, Take up some space, you know? Yeah, I have the yeah. right to be here. And, yeah. and use some resources, you know, make some demands. Now, I'm currently narrating the book of Earth. You're currently writing the book of Water. So yes. how do you integrate then, once we have all four, once you've completed the entire body of work, and now we have all four, how do you weave the four together? Ah, oh, good question. Uh, one response to that, I, I go back to mentioning this uh, school that we're putting together, the Forest Center for Evolutionary Astrology, which would use these four books as absolutely fundamental textbooks. And so I would hope that uh, an integration of these four volumes would occur in the minds of my students. You know, people who are involved with that that institution, uh, because ultimately to be an astrologer, uh, a, a person will need the knowledge in all four of those books. You know, everybody 
uh, as you were saying earlier, everyone will, will have some connection with the fire family of symbols. Everybody will have some connection with the, the, the earth, etc. Um, uh, just a, a quick techie note, um, three fire signs, three fire houses. And, and so there's uh, uh, these kind of six slots that planets can fall in and bring up fire energy, you know, through the chart, three signs, three houses. We got 10 things we call planets, plus the nodes of the moon, two more, plus the ascendant of the chart. And, and so we can see with, with so many slots for fire energy, it, it would be most unusual to find a person who had nothing in those three signs or those three houses. And of course, absolutely impossible to find somebody without the Mars, the Sun, and Jupiter in their chart somewhere. So this material in all four of the books will be uh, profoundly relevant to everyone, everyone on the Earth, no exceptions. Now, let's go back to the folks that don't know anything about astrology, but they are very interested in what you're talking about, but a little bit intimidated because they're going to open this book and you're going to be talking about finding your Mars. Yeah, yeah, and they won't know how. (laughs) How do you tell people um, to get started? It's, uh, you know, you've hit upon probably the most fundamental uh, public relations problem that astrology has. And I'm not sure there's a way around it, that, that astrology is the most eloquent, helpful, illuminating vocabulary about how to live that humanity has ever created. You know, I, I just say that without any doubt. But there is this bottleneck you've got to go through before you can avail yourself of that treasure. And that bottleneck uh, would be maybe an intensive weekend course, you know, in the astrological basics. That's not enough to make you an astrologer, but it's enough to familiarize a person with the vocabulary. But if you weren't willing to put that 12 or 16 hours into it, then the, then, then the linguistic barrier is just so high. And ultimately, there's no way around that. I, I, can, I can say things that'll be helpful for a general audience, like we can Oh, I, I can speak of the four elements. They may understand that, get something out of it. I could speak of the transition from the age of Pisces into the age of Aquarius. That's a good general audience topic. People, people get that. Like, here's a key line from it. We went from Kitty Hawk to the moon in 66 years. Doesn't that sound like the cusp of a new age? Oh, you know? yeah. I mean, that's a good one-liner. And, and talking about that, you can work with the general audience, working with uh, uh, the astrological perspective on the aging process. Like we, we, we're starting to, start to look at age 30, Saturn return. What does it mean to leave your 20s and to your 30s? And there are similar uh, rhythms that are universal to everybody. That's a good general topic. But the, the deeper kind of astrology, you need that weekend course or that six-week course to learn the language. And I, I really don't know a way around that. It doesn't trivialize astrology, turn it all to sun signs. Majana has been proofing the Book of Earth for me. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. And Capricorn on the job, too. She's not going <laughs> to 
we many mistakes. <laughs> well, and she's she's a very accomplished teacher who has been in the classroom for over twenty five years and knows oh, that side wow. like a book. So yes, she is. Yeah. <laughs> she's caught that everything. Courage, classroom for twenty five years. <laughs> it wasn't consecutive. I had to keep myself off the news, but it's, oh. uh... <laughs> okay. Good luck. You've been successful. With that. <laughs> yes. Yes. But. She's been watching over my shoulder, and we talk about the chart quite a bit. So she's ahead of the curve, but she has not done that intensive. And I don't know if, you know, if you told her to go find Pluto in her chart still that, you know, if that would be something that she would say, well, it's right there. How do you feel about somebody listening to this material, though, if they don't have that base? One of the things that I love, Stephen, that you are just a very gifted storyteller. Thank you. And I mean, it's, it just seems effortless for you. And it, you do that in your books. So I think yeah. for people who don't understand the technicalities, the stories help bring that to life. It gives them a, a meaningful attachment. Yeah, yeah exactly. so That's fundamental to how I approach it. Yeah. I, yeah, that's just absolutely beautiful. And then you do, from what I've seen, a really nice amount of repetition without it being repetitive. <laughs> That's a fine line, but I I struggle to find it. Yes, and I think you've just done that really beautifully. So, And I like the way the book is organized. Again, for someone who isn't well-versed, it's it's bite-sized chunks that are attainable and digestible. Mm -hmm. So I just, I think it's wonderful. Well, thank you. Thanks. I, I appreciate saying that. That would be my take on it, too, is if somebody had no astrological background, that it is not a deep astrology-jargoned, riddled book. It speaks very clearly about very practical areas of our life and explains them, as you said, in this interwoven way that... You at least if you like you could get two thirds of the book if somebody was not into all the nitpicky details of astrology, they could set aside a third of the book and still get a tremendous benefit on life from the metaphors and the stories that you talk about in the other two thirds. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for saying that. There's the the uh depth of an astrological reading is of course limited by the depth of the astrologer. You know, we can, our own wisdom or lack of it determines how, how deeply we can go into the symbols. That's, that's quite fundamental. And uh, I would shudder to think of me doing a reading for the Dalai Lama, for example. You know, that would put me in a profoundly awkward position. But <laughs> I, I, in, in this world, I found I have been able to, to be helpful to people by uh, taking the the technical knowledge of astrology and building the bridge to them, uh, as Majana points out, mostly through stories and metaphors. The, the underlying point I would make is that even though essentially nobody knows technical astrology or very few people do, at another level, everybody knows it because they have been living with their own human consciousness and, and uh, astrology is just a, a system of labels for for things that we all experience. And if I through a story, uh, I, I, I speak of Jupiter, and then then I tell a story, and I resonate with the Jupiter part of of the client. They get it. They understand. 
So as you look back over the the course of your life, I got tickled in some of the early chapters. You told some stories of your college days, in fact, of meeting Ram Das, rest his soul, yeah, who yeah. we just lost not too long ago. Oh, so sad. I know, I know. So many people loved Ram Das, and, and you got to meet him yeah. as a, and like you say, you went from a college hippie in North Carolina playing in a band to literally one of the top contributors to astrology that has ever walked the surface of the planet. (laughs) Thank you. You could travel every day of your life. I understand that you have a multi-year waiting list of people who would would like a reading from you. What's been your mojo as you look back? How'd you do it? Oh, wow. Uh, Love. (laughs) Love. I uh, I love astrology. I uh, I love people uh, one at a time. You know, I, I I can speak to a group, but I'm I'm pretty introverted, so I find you know social interactions with groups kind of intimidating. But individuals come in, you sit with me. I find it easy to love them, and uh, if if a person wants to be an astrologer, we there's a, various skill sets, but. But love is is the top. Uh, I know it can sound like a cliche, but but uh, just the, the the sheer emotional exhaustion of human tragedy, the sheer tedium of the repetitiveness of human tragedy. If if you're a counselor, uh, love is the only thing that allows you to to continue in that environment. So. Uh, that would be my mojo. I, I hope it, it doesn't sound arrogant, but it really is the most honest answer I could give. Without without love, this uh, this is not a viable career for anyone. A couple of wrap-up questions here. Are you still teaching? Can people still access your classes, your live events? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good question. Uh, yes is, is the broad answer. Uh, a bit of an ugly duckling stage here. Uh, in order to write these elements books, uh, which I realized I wanted to do three or four years ago, I, I had to cut out a lot of my travel and therefore my teaching. So I gave up Australia. I gave up Europe. I, I gave up uh, recently going to North Carolina. My Northern California group has disappeared. I, I still go to China and I still speak at some conferences. And I have one apprenticeship group left here in Southern California, driving distance from from where I live out in the desert. Um, so right now, that one remaining program is backed up with a waiting list like crazy. We're kind of looking for a bigger place. I'm not sure we're going to find one. The logistics are awkward and rent and spaces is expensive. So we're in a very weird stage as far as that goes. But my my view, assuming I stay healthy and strong and all of that, is that uh, as I finish the Book of Water and we get the Forest Center for Evolutionary Astrology rolling, uh, I would begin to to teach more widely again, having uh, people who've been through the, the FCEA kind of training qualified to, to, to come to the live classes where I'd be teaching chart interpretation at a more sophisticated level. So I'm hoping to, to do more of that. What about some of your books? Would you point people to particular books if, to get them started in a, in a certain direction? Yeah, yeah that's a, it's a good question. For someone who is interested in astrology, who might have enjoyed this podcast, 
but doesn't really feel they want to learn how to be an astrologer, learn the techniques, but they want to just go a little deeper into it. I would recommend a book I wrote called The Night Speaks, uh, which is uh, its original subtitle was A Meditation Upon the Astrological Worldview. It came out in a new edition, uh, simpler times, uh, Why Astrology Works. There's a, a lot of science in it, a fair amount of philosophy of science uh, around it. It doesn't teach you how to do astrology, but it, it kind of immerses you in the big picture. So it's a, it's a book I wrote for the open-minded skeptic, essentially. So the night speaks. For somebody who wanted to get their, their, their big toe in the water of learning the basic symbolism of astrology, my first book, The Inner Sky, which I, I did for Bantam Books, came out in 1984, and it's a, it's a basic primer in astrological theory. Birth chart stuff, signs, planets, houses, you learn the basic vocabulary. For someone uh, who has internalized the inner sky, you know, who, who has some familiarity with that language and was interested in what it was saying about reincarnation and how the prior life material manifests in the present chart, I'd recommend uh, a book I wrote maybe a decade ago called Yesterday's Sky, The Astrology of Reincarnation. That wouldn't make any sense for somebody who didn't know about the 12 houses and so on. But if you have a basic knowledge of astrology, that book will get you into the metaphysical part of it. So so those three, depending on people's uh, desires and interests. Good. And then, uh, like you said, a wide inventory of classes to peruse on your website. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That meet a lot of interest. Yeah, you can go yeah. very deep on that. The website is forestastrology.com. That's right. Two R's in forest. It's all one word. Well, Steve, thank you so much for spending this time with us. It's, uh, I appreciate you having me. I look forward to hearing the podcast. And, Majana, good to meet you, too. Likewise. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so thank very you. much. Thank you. Thanks. The Book of Fire is out The Book of Earth will be out very soon, and then the Book of Air and the Book of Water will complete the series eventually. You can find the Book of Fire on Audible and iTunes, and you do not, like we said, you do not need an extensive background in astrology. You will learn so much from this book about how all of this weaves together that it definitely, especially during these times that we're in right now, will be something that would be a treasure to add to your collection. And thanks again to Steve for allowing me a seat at the table, which made this possible, and I hope that this has blessed your life. Until next time, thank you for listening. I'm Thomas Miller. Typically, I would say enjoy the journey. I'm going to say for this one, may the stars light your path. The opinions on this podcast are those of the host based on personal experience only and are not intended as medical or psychological advice. If you are experiencing symptoms that require professional treatment, please contact a licensed medical practitioner. The stories and opinions expressed on this podcast are independently those of the host and guests and are not intended to be taken as medical advice or to replace medical care from a licensed professional when appropriate.